Jim Schultz, and this is from Theory to Practice. Welcome to the show today. Welcome to the Thursday edition of what it is that we are trying to do. Welcome to the YouTube live stream edition of what it is that we are trying to do, which is every day at this point, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday for From Theory to Practice. Of course, on Wednesdays, I get to spend some time with E. I get to spend some time with E for today's assignment. And yesterday, we actually talked about trading volatility. And so that's going to be sort of related to where I want to go today with the focal point for this program. But welcome aboard. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you guys so much for taking time out of your busy day to hang with us. So if you're watching over on Tasty, forget about Tasty, hop on over to YouTube and join the discussion, join the conversation so we can all enjoy the market going to zero together. Let's hear and uh, man, it's looking a little... Man, it's looking a little something out there. I don't know. This is not how they drew it up in the old uh, locker room, I don't think. Got the Dow down a couple honeys after being up earlier this morning. Got the NASDAQ peeling off a little over a honey to the downside after also being up this morning. Got even the S&Ps down half a honey, down about 44, 45 right now after being comfortably perched above 4,000. Uh, feels like about six minutes ago. About six minutes ago, that thing was uh, up over 4,000. So I don't know what's going on. Neither does anybody else. But uh, I would have expected today to be kind of a ho-hum day. I would have expected today to be an inside day, given the fact that we have non-farm payrolls in the morning and everybody's going to be waiting for that number. But nevertheless, the bears are in control. The sellers are in control. Tim Knight is in control of the market as we speak. A scary thought. A scary thought. Indeed, gold up 20 points. Yeah, this doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. Bonds up. And so, you know, bonds and equities. Everybody thought it was the same trade, but au contraire. Mon frere, not today, got bonds up and the market down. So who knows what's going to happen? It's almost like this stuff is unpredictable and totally random. But all right, if you are here for the show, thank you again for popping in. If you have a question for me, please drop it in the YouTube chat. I'm going to try to get to as many as I can live on the show. But if you've seen the show before, you know I tend to give very long-winded and what I hope are somewhat complete answers. So I can't always get to all the questions. So what I try to do is pick out one or two or maybe three and drop them on my Twitter feed later on. Usually it ends up being in the evening. And so uh, later this evening or this afternoon, I will get to one one, two, or three questions on my Twitter feed. I'm at Jay Schultz F3, or it may be very late tonight because today, guys, today is our intern, our assistant, my three-year-old daughter. Today is her birthday. She is three years old today, March 9th, March 9th, 2020. She was born. She was a COVID baby. She was born. We went into the hospital, you know, when autumn was going uh, into labor and the whole world was pretty normal, at least in the United States. Of course, not everywhere in the world, but in the U.S., things were still pretty normal. Well, when we got out on March 11th or March 12th, whenever it was, the world was not normal anymore. Like everything was crazy and COVID had really kind of just begun for us here in the States. So that is a memory that we will never forget as if her just being born wasn't enough, but it is now attached to, you know, the uh, the pandemic there. So uh, happy birthday, Amelia May. I'm going to be hanging out with her for the birthday party and stuff later on, but I can probably sneak away to add a tiny little Twitter thread to the old feeds. All right, so what I want to do today, as you guys are getting situated, you're getting your snacks and your electrolytes and all the things that you need to enjoy the market going down to zero, down, down 300 now. NASDAQ down 140. Man, are we going to see 12,000? Are we going to see 12,000 today? Like, can I interest you in one 12,000 print today? 
for the one time low cost of however much capital you might have in your account, like for the one time low cost of potentially a lot, if you are long, can I interest you in a 12,000 print on the NASDAQ? We're going to find out here in the next uh, 20, 30 minutes. But what I want to talk about today, let's talk about everybody's favorite Greek, Roe. Nah, just kidding. Let's talk about everybody's third favorite Greek, which is actually going to be Vega. So, Ryan, bring us into the uh, to the slide here today. You probably didn't expect a row reference today. Like, you probably expected, you know, a Nickelback reference. You probably expected, like, a Carly Rae Jepsen reference. But I can bet you bottom biscuit that you did not expect a row reference on the program here today. But, hey, markets move and things change. So let's talk about three Vega tips. So I'm going to give you guys three I don't know if they're really tips. They're more like characteristics or features of Vega that can be really, really helpful to understand when you're trying to measure the volatility exposure that you might have on a current position, that you might have on a new trade that you are considering, or that you might be looking at you know, with your portfolio in an overall sense to kind of get some idea of how exposed you might be to volatility. Now, I don't look at Vega that often. It's kind of the forgotten Greek. I mean, not as forgotten as Rho, but we don't look at it nearly as much as like a delta or a theta, and I'll probably get into reasons why that might be uh, the case here in a little bit. But still, it's very helpful to understand what Vega represents, and it's very helpful to understand these kind of key points about Vega that can help us just become more well-rounded traders and more well-rounded analysts when it comes to thinking about a given trade or, or monitoring or analyzing a trade on entry. So Ryan, go ahead and bring us into the, uh, into the content here today. The third wheel, as Vega measures how the implied volatility of a stock will change when the underlying stock price changes, there are three characteristics of Vega that can be very, very useful. So, so three characteristics, three features, three, three tips, three points. These three things can be very helpful for understanding how Vega changes depending on the different parameters that you might be changing in the analysis. So tip number one. And we're going to look at a position in a second to kind of put all this together. Tip number one, long options have positive vega and short options have negative vega. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means in a very, very simple and straightforward sense that long options want volatility to rise because a rising volatility will lead to a rising option price, which is good for the option buyer. It is good for the long option holder. Okay, short options are negative vega which simply means that short option holders want volatility to fall. They want volatility to go down. They want volatility to contract. And they want this to happen because lower volatility leads to lower option prices, which is what you want when you sell an option, right? You sell high and then buy low. That's the basic idea behind selling options. Well, when it comes to understanding Vega, it's very helpful to understand, you know, in tip number one, positive Vega versus negative Vega, right? These are obviously going to be very different. These are obviously going to kind of label or carry characterize your exposure to volatility in a very, very important way. Like, are you bullish volatility or are you bearish volatility? Tip number two, Vega is the highest for the at-the-money strike in a given option chain. So for a specific stock, 
and a specific expiration, Vega will be at its maximum point for the at the money strike. So anytime you have an at the money option, whether you have a current position on that, you know, the, the stock has just moved such that that option or that strike is at the money right now, you are going to be exposed maximally to the Vega in that position or on that strike. If you're looking at a trade at trade entry and you want more volatility exposure, then you'd want to be around the money. Maybe you want less volatility exposure then you would not want to be around the money. You'd want to move further out of the money or further in the money, depending on the type of strategy that you might be looking at. And then tip number three, moving very, very efficient today, because I do want to see if the NASDAQ prints 12,000. I don't want to miss that. Like, I want to be there for that, along with all y'all that are on the stream today. Tip number three, Vega increases with days to expiration. So as you move out further in time, as you expand, you know, the, the time frame that you might be looking at, you will also see that holding all other variables constant, ceteris paribus for all my Latin groupies out there, you will see that Vega also expands. You will see that Vega is greater for longer term options. And so again, if you're trying to control or minimize or maximize your volatility exposure, it's very helpful to understand, you know, these different tips and tenants that you see inside of, you know, a Vega understanding. With tip number two, the at the money strike commanding the highest Vega. And then tip number three, the longer duration is also commanding higher Vegas. And so understanding all this, moving down to that green box down there, this helps me better understand the volatility exposure that I might have in a single position, whatever it might be, you know, a strangle, a short put, a ratio, a vertical, whatever, or the overall portfolio writ large or the overall portfolio in the aggregate sense. Like that could be really, really helpful for trying to understand and again, measure my volatility exposure. And so that is effectively what we can glean from Vegas. So Ryan, go ahead and bring us back into the portfolio. Let's look at an example. And then I want to get to all y'all's questions, man. Let me get to all y'all's questions. I see lots of questions coming in. Ryan, go ahead and bring us back into the uh, into the portfolio here. And so I want to look at an example to tie all this off and kind of put all this stuff together. And once you guys can see this kind of live and you can kind of see this happening in a given stock, my hope is that this will make it very, very clear and evident to you, you know, what uh, what might be going on here. So let's see here, Ryan, if you can get us into the portfolio, that would be that would be good. So if we look at if we look at Procter and Gamble. So when I thought about Nasdaq down 130, Dow down 300, EMI S&P is down 50, I was like, "All right, what is the one stock that everybody's looking at? Is it Tesla? I don't think so. Is it Silvergate? I don't think so. The one stock that everybody's worried about is Procter and Gamble. So if we go into Procter and Gamble, PG People are like, man, I, I don't know about crypto, but how my soap's going to do? Like, I'm not sure about, you know, the Model 3, but I got to know, like, toothpaste. Where are we at on the toothpaste? And so Procter & Gamble, if we go into the trade page on Procter & Gamble, go into April. So we stay in the April cycle. So the first thing that I want to point out, and this can be a bit confusing, right? If you haven't really, you know, uh, been shown this before, look at the Vega on both sides of the option chain. So the calls and the puts. Calls on the left, obviously, puts on the right. What you'll notice about the Vega is you don't see some positive and some negative, right? And this was tip number one. Like, if I buy an option, it's positive Vega. If I sell an option, it's negative Vega. All you see are positive numbers. So if you didn't know better, like, this would kind of lead you to believe, you know, all Vegas are positive. That's not true. 
all Vegas are not positive. It depends on whether or not you buy the option or sell the option. If you buy the option, it's positive Vega. It doesn't matter if it's a call or a put. If you sell the option, it's negative Vega. It doesn't matter if it's a call or a put. And so when you look at how it's presented on the platform, it's simply presented from the viewpoint, from the vantage point of the long option holder. That's why you see deltas are negative for puts and positive for calls. But if I sell a put, it's actually positive delta because I'm not the option buyer. But the Greeks are oftentimes, and by oftentimes, I mean always at times, presented from the long option holder's perspective. And so that's why you see positive numbers here on these Vegas. But whether or not it's going to be positive for you, uh, ultimately, uh, depends on whether or not you buy or sell the option. Calls or puts, it doesn't matter. So that's the first tip. The second tip. Let's take a look at, let me clear away these boxes. So right now we've got Procter & Gamble right at about 137 and some change. So we're right between the 135 and the 140 strike. So look at the Vega on the put side between 135 and 140. Look at the Vega on the call side between 135 and 140. And what do you see? You see that the Vega for the at-the-money strike, which again, we can't, we can't perfect the at-the-money strike. We can't pinpoint it right now because Procter & Gamble is kind of between the two closest strikes. But you can see very clearly that the Vega is at the highest point right around the at-the-money strike. You see it drops off on both sides of the moneyness you know, story. Uh, whether it's out of the money or in the money, it is going to drop off on either side. And so we see maximum Vega for the at-the-money strike. So we've covered tip number one. We've covered tip number two. Let's now go into tip number three. So if I look at, I'm just going to pick one strike at random here. Let me take a look at, in fact, I'll even pick two just to really make this point. If I look at a 135 put, which is going to be your at the money put or slightly out of the money put. If I look at a 135 put, you see the Vega is 18. If I look at a 125 put, you see the Vega is 10. Now we could do this on the call side too. It would be the same result. And so this is not going to be a put specific phenomenon this is going to happen with any strike or any call that you might look at now i want to look at are we know what these are in april i know the 135 is 18 i know the 125 is 10 i want to know what are these in may so if i look at the same strikes same stock i try to control as many variables as i can and i only change the expiration if tip number three is correct which i sure hope it is at this point because it's already on the slide we've already covered it by now if that is correct then i should see higher vegas for both of these numbers Right, the 135 should be higher than 18, and the 125 should be higher than 10. So cross your fingers. I really hope this works out. If I go into May, look at the 135. The 135 Vega is 24. So again, I'm no Jacob Perlman, but that's more than 18. But look at the 125. That's 15. Again, I'm no Julia Spina, but that's more than 10. So that works out. That's good. Right, we see higher Vegas with more days to expiration. And so this really kind of ties together what we were talking about on the slide, tip one, tip two, and tip three. And again, how do you use these? You know, you can use them to measure the volatility exposure that's in your portfolio. But admittedly, I don't look at Vega that often because I actually feel like everything I would need to know in terms of volatility exposure, in terms of, you know, how much, you know, negative Vega, positive Vega that I might have is effectively going to be baked into the theta number at the portfolio level. And at a certain point, there's too many things to monitor. Like at a certain point, it's like, all right, I can't babysit anything else. I've already got, you know, three small children, like we're maxed out. I have no more bandwidth. I have no more capacity. Like, sure, you can bring Vega in and drop it off, but I can't promise you that I'm going to pay attention to it. Like, I can't promise you that it's still going to have a beating heart when you come to pick it up. I'll do my best, but this is all I can do. I'm only one man. And so it's the same thing here, exact same idea with a pretty below average analogy. 
I would say. But let's get into the questions as the analogies are quickly breaking down and we're not even halfway into the show. Luciano with the first comment says, Happy Thursday, everyone. Remember to like the video. Man, Luciano, I appreciate you. And I appreciate you so much. Yes, guys, if you want to like the video, that would help me out so much. And it would help push this out to more people that maybe have never heard of me before. I've never heard of Tasty before, but they're interested in options trading. Maybe we can kind of share the love and kind of spread the wealth here and introduce them to some Vega and some tips and some characteristics. So, yes, please hit that like right now. That would really, really help a ton. So some guy in a diner, which, of course, is Packer Bob, some guy in a diner is his financial advisor which we covered on a previous stream. Hi, Jim. Still looking for some more trades. Actually made a few dollars on long bear spreads. There you go. So you would have made some nice money on a long bear spread if you put it on uh, this morning. Any ideas? I don't want to get... I don't want to go back to the diner for investment advice. So you've already fired your financial advisor. I did get another dividend from Jeppy. Yeah, I don't know why you would fire this guy. I mean, and Packer Bob goes on in a lower comment. My diner investment strategy so far, I bought 10 shares of about 550 for all 10. So Jeppy, uh, which again is like fifty dollars stock or something, right? Uh, I think. So if I look at Jeppy, yeah, fifty three dollars stock. This is a, a JP Morgan exchange traded fund. So you've got you know JP Morgan just creating their own ETFs at this point. You know, long Kramer, inverse Kramer, JP Morgan exchange traded funds. Like you know, just you can pretty much do whatever you want. The underlying is down about twenty two dollars. I have received about eight dollars and fifty cents in dividends for two months. That's not too bad, man. Like, that's really not too bad. So, again, I, I would probably give your guy in the diner another shot because uh, he seems to be proving himself, you know, a, a reliable resource in terms of at least a, a dividend stream. And so as far as other trades, I don't really have any on my on my radar right now. You know, I was kind of just looking at the overall portfolio. My deltas are pretty balanced. You know, I'm, I'm around delta neutral. Now, I do want to get a little bit more bearish, but I don't want to get bearish uh, on a day like today. I mean, I'm certainly a Johnny. But I try to control it a little bit here and there and at least try to pretend that I'm not a Johnny. So I'm just selling them in the hole and just, you know, getting short at the bottom and just, you know, selling bottoms and buying tops. I mean, I already do that so well naturally. I don't want to go out of my way to do it more frequently than it already happens. So I don't have any trades queued up now, but sometimes y'all bring trades to me. So maybe we'll have some trades that we'll learn together here, Bob, in the next couple of minutes. And uh, I've gotten some good trades on the streams. I've also got some disaster trades on the stream. So it's always a good time, and uh, it's always uh, enjoyable to see what might come my way. So Luciano also says, can you explain? Like, I'm a five-year-old. I love that phrase. I genuinely love that phrase because I really, really think that that's how things, all things should be explained. The difference between Vega and implied volatility. Price sensitivity versus IV measuring expected future, future volatility. Thanks, Dr. Jay. Yes, I can, Luciano. And so Vega, as we kind of went through on the slide, Vega is going to show you. So let me go back into, again, the one stock that everybody is watching today, which is Procter & Gamble. If I go into Procter & Gamble and I bring over, you know, kind of the overview, like the overview tab, which is this just gives you kind of some broad, broad market details about Procter & Gamble, right? Like the range for the day. You know, the IV rank, the IV index, which is kind of an average IV across, you know, the relevant strikes that might be, you know, uh, on the option chain right now. You've got the upcoming earnings day. You've got a liquidity meter, which is showing us how liquid or illiquid the stock might be. And then some market cap stuff and just all that kind of stuff. And so if I look at this, if I look at like the IV index, which again, that's kind of like an average IV, like, you know, if you look at any stock, right? Every stock, any stock, they have a myriad of IVs. There's never just one IV with a stock. 
because you have to, you know, you have to make sure that you choose or select a specific strike and a specific expiration. And so every strike has a unique implied volatility. Every expiration has a unique implied volatility. And then every strike plus expiration combination has a unique implied volatility. And so there's never just one implied volatility associated with a given stock. So that's what the IV index kind of measures. It kind of gives you, you know, some average IV. If I just want to kind of get a quick, quick glance at what type of volatility is in this stock, I look at the IV index. I can also, I guess, just quickly glance up and down the option chain, and they're all going to be around around 19. Like here, I'll even show you guys really quick, and this is kind of part of the answer there, uh, Luciano. Like you can see the IV index is 19.2. If I go into Procter & Gamble, and I just look kind of up and down the chain, like you can see that, I mean, the the front week is pretty high. But if you look like, you know, if you look a little bit down the chain, you can see that number is around 19 to 20, right? So it's, it's in the ballpark, right? Like I mean, the IV index at 19.2, I'm not going to open up the option chain and see implied volatilities at 40 or 50 or 60. I might for like an earnings cycle or something like that. But, you know, when I'm looking at the average number and kind of where the number, number begins to settle, it's probably going to be somewhere around the IV index measure. And so when I think about implied volatility, that just gives me some measure of how much of a mover and how much of a shaker this stock might be. So implied volatility actually technically measures the expected range for the stock plus or minus for the next 12 months. So for the next year. So just to actually give you some numbers. So if I look at Procter & Gamble's at 137, let me grab my final Jeopardy pen. And we've got an IV index of, you know, 19%, which I'm just going to make it 20% because that's a lot easier to work with. If I've got an IV index of 20%, that's going to be plus or minus 20%. And then I look at the stock price at 137.50, that means I'm looking at, you know, plus or minus $27, 27 being 20% of 137 approximately, plus or minus $27 for the next year so for the next 12 months this is going to be the anticipated range in procter and gamble now could it be more than that of course the market is a living and breathing thing could it be less than that of course the market is still a living and breathing thing but this is just giving me some reference point for what type of volatility i could expect in the stock like just very quickly you know compare that up against tesla which is you know definitely a mover and a shaker and look at what you see just again just glancing down the the chain here you can see ivs in the 60s Right, so if we if we use an IV of you know 60 just to make it again pretty uh, round and simple to work with, it looks like the actual IV is generally higher than that, closer to 65. I'm looking at a stock price of 177. Let's see, 60% of 177 would be what about 102, 130. So I'm looking at what plus or minus $100 range in Tesla for the next 12 months. That's very very different from Procter and Gamble at effectively you know a quarter of that, a fraction of that. And so that's what implied volatility measures and shows us. Vega shows us how sensitive that option, how sensitive that strike, how sensitive that expiration cycle might be to changes in volatility. So implied volatility is giving you measurements of ranges and fluctuations and you know anticipatory things when it comes to the expected moves of the stock. Vega, on the other hand, is kind of showing you specific sensitivity of that stock strike expiration. So that's how I would uh, that's how I would differentiate between the two there, Luciano. I really really hope that that uh, that that helped. So Raul says, "Good afternoon, all." This could be interesting. I agree. This could be interesting. Uh, good, Dr. Jim. I have a lot of portfolio negative Vega. 
how do I protect myself from a volatility pop? Yes. So a couple of things to think about. So if I go back to my my positions tab here, I like the position tab because I've got all this open canvas here that can uh, that can be used for Final Jeopardy purposes. So if we take a look at you know our 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 blank space here. As I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, I don't really look at Vega that often. I don't really monitor Vega on a portfolio level. I pretty much just look at Delta and I look at Theta. Now, when we look at Theta, we typically like to live somewhere between you know 0.1% to 0.5% of overall net lick in daily Theta. So for example, you know if I had a portfolio of 10,000, let's just say, and let's just use this for our example for the next couple of minutes. This would be, you know, a daily portfolio theta of 10 and a daily portfolio theta of 50. That would be my my range of the theta that I would, you know, hold in my portfolio. Obviously, if you're on the lower end of this range, you're a bit more conservative. You're obviously, uh, you know, you're not exposed to that much risk just overall. If you're on the higher end of that range, you're going to be exposed to a lot more risk. Because, because again, think about how you build up positive theta. How do you build up appreciable amounts of positive theta? It ain't with vertical spreads. It ain't with iron condors, which is not to say those strategies are not useful. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that when it comes to building up significant amount, significant amounts of positive theta, how do you do that? You do that with undefined risk strategies. You do that with super wide iron condors or super wide verticals that are kind of synthetic undefined risk strategies. Well, when you have undefined risk strategies on, then you are naturally exposed to more what? More risk, more outlier move risk, more volatility risk more individual position risk, et cetera, et cetera. And so by looking at the portfolio theta, I typically live between 0.1% to 0.2%. I'm just a lot more conservative in nature. I have been for many, many years now. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 42 in a couple of months, so I'm going to be cashing in on all of my retirement savings here very, very soon since I'm so close to the end. And because of all of that, I am just very conservative in nature. So being at 0.1% to 0.2%, you know, it allows me to kind of, you know, not be exposed to as much risk as some of my compadres might be, my companions might be at 0.4, 0.5, you know, et cetera. So when it comes to the volatility risk that you might have on in your portfolio there, Raul, just be mindful of how much theta you are exposed to, right? Be mindful of how much theta you are exposed to. Now, let's say that you are exposed to a boatload of theta. You're at 0.4, you're at 0.5, you're at 0.7, right? You've been attending, you know, the Bomb Nozinoff webinar. You're like, man, I need to be at 0.8. Like, I got it. I understand. How do you then begin to control, because you can't eliminate it, but how do you begin to control some of that risk? Well, there's a couple of things you could do. The simplest way and the cleanest way, it's not the only way, but the simplest way and the cleanest way is probably going to be to have some short delta positions in your portfolio. Now, those short delta positions could be just straight short futures. They could be straight short stock. They could be dynamic short delta, like by way of like short calls or skewed strangles or whatever. But generally speaking, you know, you're concerned about a big volatility expansion, right? Well, what's likely going to happen if volatility expands? I mean, we're seeing it happen today. I mean, you've got even S and P is down 42, right? Look at what the VIX is doing. It's up a dollar 47. So it's up what five, six percent, seven percent on the day, right? The market's only down one percent. VIX is up seven percent. So there you go. What do you see? You see this inverse relationship between market prices and market volatility. And so if you're really concerned about a volatility pop, yes, you could buy calls in the VIX. Yes, you could buy puts in SPY. You could do those things too. But this is one of the reasons why a lot of 
traders inside of Tasty Nation. That's what we're going to call them from this point forward. This is why a lot of traders that populate the Tasty Nation world like to hold short delta, you know, either in the form of dynamic or static. I personally think static is going to be a lot more effective for you, given what you're looking for, shielding against a volatility expansion, because there's nothing worse than selling at the money calls, having volatility explode, and then realizing that the calls didn't really help you very much because the volatility on those guys exploded too. And so it's, it's a lot easier in that situation to just be short some futures or short some stock or whatever and just do it that way with the understanding that, you know, every gimme has a gotcha. If the market has a face rip and rally, like that hedge is obviously going to hurt you and that short position is going to hurt you. So that's what I would do, Raul, at least a couple of, you know, scattered thoughts that hopefully you can uh, pick up the pieces a little bit and try to figure out a couple of uh, a couple of things. So Brian, Brian says, what delta theta ratio do you like to shoot for? Uh, one to two, I think, is kind of the standard that we prefer as a network. I typically look at delta and theta independently. And so I actually talked about how I do this uh, in the crash course that's already on the YouTube channel that is, you know, managing a portfolio or how to build a portfolio in four easy steps or something like that. It's only four episodes long. It's fairly quick and fairly short and to the point, which for me is quite a feat for me to accomplish. But in that, I talk about how I use delta and theta independently. The delta theta ratio is very effective and it's very useful, especially if you have negative delta and have a bearish bias. So it would actually be more applicable to me right now. But coming from a perma bull bias and coming from a perma bull kind of standard operating procedure, I prefer to look at delta and theta independently. But that's just the way that I do it, of course. I mean, check out the crash course if you want to learn a little bit more about how I do that. Uh, but the delta theta ratio one to two is going to be kind of your standard uh, Betty Crocker play when it comes to that. So Cosmo, Cosmo says... Why does Tasty Trade use IVX, and does the TT expected move relate to more standard measures of IV for a given option series? Yeah, Cosmos. So hopefully, I kind of answered your first question there in terms of what IVX is and why we use it to give us kind of one simple number for the implied volatility of that of that stock. Now, how that relates to the expected move? You know, the expected move calculation, at least in a very basic generic sense is very simple. You just take the stock price, you multiply it, by, multiply it by implied volatility, and then you multiply that by some time parameter, which is usually the square root of you know days to expiration over 365. So you have this current stock price, some measure of volatility, and some measure of time. That's going to give you the expected move for that actual period. I don't know exactly how Tasty Trade measures the expected move. I don't know how they might adjust that formula. Like, are they using the IVX? Are they using that specific expirations IV? I'm actually genuinely not sure. You could email support at tastytrade.com. It's going to be some equation that's very close to the one that I just outlined because that is kind of the that's the grand poobah of all expected move calculations because it is the correct expected move calculation. But there could be some, you know, some small iterations off of that that are used for whatever reason. But I would actually email email support at tastytrade.com and they can tell you exactly how they calculate it. I'm actually not sure. I should probably know that given the position that I'm in on this program, but I'm just being honest with y'all, man. I, I, I don't know. And so hopefully that helps you at least a little bit there, uh, Cosmo. I think I called you Cosmo Lime a couple of seconds ago when it clearly says Cosmo Line. And so uh, my apologies for that. So Luciano says, can we make, here we go, here's the question. Can we make mommy Elizabeth Warren and daddy, I believe it's uncle actually, and uncle Jerome Powell to stop 
fighting. No, I don't think we can. I genuinely don't think we can. It's just so laughable. I think I talked about this with E on yesterday's show. It's just so laughable that whenever you see these, uh, I don't even know what you want to call them. They're not really conversations. Whenever you see these engagements, right, between politicians and then like, you know, Uncle Jay, right? Again, has Uncle Jay made mistakes? Absolutely. Did Uncle Jay keep rates, you know, too low for too long? Absolutely. There's no question. Is he a big reason why we have inflation? I absolutely think so. But he's got a pretty difficult job, and I, I, I don't envy his position at all. I still feel like he's fairly clear and direct with his answers, and I really, really appreciate that. It's funny to me and laughable to me when these politicians try to corner him. They try to get him on record as having said X or Y or Z when you can see just the expression on his face. And sometimes he comes out and says it very plainly, but the expression on his face just makes it so clear. It's like it's not that simple. It's just not that simple. Right. This is a multi-factor thing. Like there's so many things going on and we're monitoring whatever. And again, you may love Uncle Jay. You may hate Uncle Jay. You may be totally indifferent to Uncle Jay, but I do appreciate his clarity. And I think the politicians are laughable because they don't really care about his answer. They actually are using their time to ask questions to just make a point, buy votes, you know, conjure up their people, get people riled up and all that stuff. And I just think it's I think it's just all smoke and mirrors, man. So I don't think we can get them to stop fighting there, uh, Luciano. Uh, and so, yeah, we're just going to have to we're just going to live with it for the uh, for the time being. Uh, Harold, Harold made it to the show. Thank you, Harold. Well, I'm super late. Dr. Jim and your boy. What's up, Harold? Thoughts on trading short term premium to neutralize theta when the overall position is sitting on long positions and having it work against you. So. So uh, by short term premium, I mean, it would depend on kind of what you mean. If you're referring to like zero DTE premium. Man, I really, 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 really appreciate the efforts of the research team. I mean, there's so much research coming out about zero DT. I mean, I even saw the piece, I think Tom and Tony did it this morning, about, you know, kind of the premium differential in terms of zero DTEs giving you so much more bang for your buck on like a per day basis, like a per unit basis. I love the research that's coming out. So we're learning so much, kind of learning on the job, right? We're kind of all learning together about these zero DT options. Personally, I'm still not interested in these really at all. I'm not interested in these in terms of, you know, just getting seriously involved with zero DT options because there might be some opportunities there and there might be some unique things that we can do, but I much prefer to have, you know, a, a, a broader swath of time on the strategy. Because, I mean, just think about, I mean, zero DT, zero DT is like brand new. Zero DT is like the, you know, the, the brand, you're, you're 11 years old, you're in what sixth grade or fifth grade or whatever 11 years old is you got the new kid that just moved from you know four cities away and he just showed up in your class and you're like man i don't know anything about this kid right he looks cool but i kind of like his vibe i don't know anything about this kid right that's zero dt options right now it's like man i know the kid that sits next to me i like that kid i know the girl that sits on the other side of me i like that girl right there's your 45 days to go options Right. We know we're comfortable with those. We know that they work really well. We know the first half of the expiration cycle is quite reliable and so on and so forth. But with the zero GTE guys, and I don't know, I don't know. And I kind of feel like a politician because, Harold, you didn't even ask me about zero GTE, but I use your question as an opportunity to make my point about zero DT options. So, Elizabeth Warren, I got you, girl, man. I know what you're trying to do out there because I'm doing the exact same thing. So, Chris, uh, Chris Shirley says never thought we would be getting tips about vegas from dr jim yeah you know i mean you know in a in a former life i was a little bit of a vegas guy i've been to vegas like uh five four or five times 
I've played in the World Series of Poker, and uh, I, I, I enjoyed Vegas in my former life, especially when I used to play cards a lot, and I really enjoyed games of chance, like, you know, your pokers, your blackjacks, etc. Uh, thankfully, the good Lord has moved me on from those things, and I'm very, very thankful for that, but uh, I have fond memories, fond memories of Vegas. And uh, so, unfortunately, Chris, I had to give you some tips about Vega today and not uh, and not Vegas. But Dimple... Dimple says much of tasty research use 16 Delta as a reference for strikes. But I see options done by most are way closer uh, to in the money. I think maybe you are trying to get to there. My underoos fill up just hovering at 30 Delta strikes. What's up with that? And what is up with that? I didn't know this was going to be an SNL skit, but I'm down for it. I'm here for it. What's up with that? So the key to your question the key, the linchpin to your whole question is all about the dampness of your underoos. And this is an individual thing, right? This is not going to be a blanket statement. This is not going to be some universal thing that's going to apply to everybody because you have, you know, a different thread count in your underoos. You have a different amount of thickness in the underoos. And so when you take all these things into account, it's like, all right, you have to understand, you know, just how much you can handle. Like you have to understand like, all right, like based on my conservativeness or lack of conservativeness when it comes to like theta, for example, portfolio theta, like maybe you're a little bit closer to a Dr. Jim, maybe you're a little bit closer to a Shooter McGavin, maybe you're somewhere right in the middle, right? And so that's going to obviously factor in in a huge way when it comes to, how much risk you want to hold in your position. Like we talked about Vega being a measure of risk. We talked about Theta being a measure of risk. Well, another measure of risk is obviously going to be, you know, how high your Delta is, how high your Deltas are as your go-to for your strategies. If you're selling 40, 45, 48 Delta, you know, puts, like those are very, very close to the stock price. Yes, you are going to be compensated with greater premiums. And yes, you're going to have, you are going to have higher profit potential, but you are also going to be left with, you know, more soiled underoos. That's just the way that it is. That is what you are signing up for. So when you look at our research and you're just like, all right, you know, they're usually using 16 Delta, but I see a lot of traders, you know, even increase from that. That's a good example of how we're all taking the same research. We're all taking the same five, six universal principles, but we're making them our own. We're taking ownership of these things and then kind of blazing our own trail forward through the forest. And I think that's what each and every one of you should be aiming to do. It's not copy me. It's not copy, you know, a bomb Nasnoff or a pony babista or a young pony babista, right? Like you've got to blaze your own trail through the forest. And so I would just encourage you there, Dimple, to not necessarily feel pressure to mirror what we do or to increase or decrease your delta in whatever way the research might be suggesting. Just use it as another piece of the puzzle, right? Just use it as another supporting point for what it is that we're trying to do and then start to experiment like start to experiment with what thing you uh, with what you think might make sense for you i mean based on your comment there and the uh the situation that you find yourself in with your underoos specifically i think lower deltas is probably going to be a better option for you personally when it might not be the same good option for somebody else that has a different level of risk tolerance so hopefully that helps uh helps a little bit so some guy in a diner is back so that's good. Uh, grabbed himself a quick lunch, and he's back. 
can you recommend something that TT already has already done or sometime do a basic piece on a basic piece on futures? I feel like I should do something there, but I know nothing about them. Thanks. Uh, yes, it is probably long overdue for me to throw my hat in the ring when it comes to futures. Now, admittedly, I don't have nearly the experience with futures or futures options that I do with, you know, just basic stocks and, and basic options, if that's actually a thing and not a contradiction and misnomer. But there have been some things happening behind the scenes where I have maybe have been working some things out with a little bit of futures here, a little bit of futures options there. As I'm in the laboratory trying to work some things out, trying to make some sense of these other products. So some things could be coming on down the chutes later on, you know, sometime in 2023 or 2024 or 25, 26, 27, 20. Like it's coming soon, just like that crash course and just like Tasty Trading Canada. Just sit tight. It should be, it should be any year now. And so I'm right there with you there, Bob. So Matt Johnson says, how about some zero DT butterflies today? Yeah, I'm going to pass, man. I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass on y'all's zero DT butterflies. That just sounds like flushing your cash down the toilet to me. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong. Like, I'm, I'm open to having my mind be changed. I'm, I'm open-minded, and I could completely pivot when it comes to this. But just, you know, sight unseen, just first glance, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like we're burning some cash in the campfire uh, there. So I'm going to pass on that one, man. I'm going to let you do that one. So Chris says, happy birthday, Amelia. Yes, Scott says, happy birthday to the brains behind the operation. Yes, thank you, guys so much I, I you guys probably have a ton of birthday comments and i'll take a look at them when the stream is over but let me try to get to one more i appreciate you guys man i appreciate you guys uh so much and so let's see uh da, 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 da. oh here we go bubbly bull so bubbly bull i think we've maybe emailed before and you've watched the stream before so thank you so much for popping in let me try to answer this question quickly hey jim is there a time of day that is best to put on a trade or day in the week other ones to avoid and do you use dips and runs in your favor before putting on a trade an iv move maybe yes great question days of the week i don't think there's anything there now there's a lot of schools of thought on that like some people think ah, hey, you need to avoid mondays you need to avoid fridays you need to avoid you know whatever i don't think there's anything there personally i do think however when it comes to the time of day i think the open window from let's say 9 30 eastern to 10 o'clock eastern that is a very 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 liquid window when if you're trying to get pretty much anything filled option strategy future strategy option on future strategy like you're going to usually have fairly decent spreads sometimes they might be a little bit wider because there is so much activity so be mindful of that but still you can usually get some really good fills because there's so much activity that's coming into the market at that time so those would be my couple of thoughts when it comes to time of day and uh and days of the week but i gotta go i gotta get you guys to jamal i appreciate you guys man i appreciate you guys so much check out the twitter feed later today for uh, more questions that i wasn't able to get to here live on the show i'm at jay schultz f3 and you guys can always email me i am jay schultz at tastylive.com if you guys ever want to send me a question or a comment i would love to connect with you but stay tuned we do have jamal coming up next with engineering the trade in the meantime guys trade them small trade them heavy and stay generous we'll see you guys tomorrow The content of this podcast is created, produced, and provided solely by Tasty Life Inc. and does not represent the direct views or opinions of any of its affiliated companies. This content is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be trading or investment advice or a recommendation that any security, futures contract, digital asset, other product, transaction, or investment strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities, futures products, and digital assets involve risk and may result in a loss greater than the original amount invested. 
Tasty Live Inc., through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. The information provided may not be appropriate for all investors and is provided without respect to individual investor financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. Tasty Live Inc. is not a licensed financial advisor, registered investment advisor, or registered broker-dealer.